Hey everyone, welcome to Turnbuckle Boogie. I am Timothy Styles, and with me is professional wrestler and Las Vegas-based trainer, Cutthroat Cody Hancock. Who still can't break 200 pounds. Oh. After Thanksgiving fucking dinner, the next morning, 199. Well, what do you think is supposed to happen? No, I want to be 200 pounds. So desperate. Yeah, I just got done eating a muffin. (laughs) Which is a really good way to sneak in extra calories. I mean, there is no secret to it. In fact, uh, who is it? Chris Hemsworth, the guy who plays Thor. Yes. I think he's gearing up for for, um, to play Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the big secret is start every morning with a fucking dozen donuts. Yeah. Uh, you'll bulk up real fast. I, I'm a hard gainer, so mm-hmm. and I will get there. I mean, I, I still have a couple weeks left in my workout programming, too. And um, But no, I plan on eating my ass off, and even if I have to drink two gallons of milk a fucking day, I will break 200 pounds. It'll help you grow more dense bones, I hear. Yes. I'm, I'm so excited to have the densest bones of all the boys. Well, folks, if you care to support the show, a good way to do it would be by clicking on the gimmick table at turnbuckleboogie.com and getting yourself a t-shirt. T-shirt? Yes, t-shirt. <laughs> it's a new device that is kind of like a onesie. It's sh- a shirt that goes into shorts. <laughs> That's right. No. I believe they call that a romper. Uh, get yourself a... Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's those things the young bucks wear. Yes. You know, Filthy f- Tom Lawler, too, wears rompers. Does he really? Yeah, and I ain't going to fuck with him for that, because he can hurt me. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's funny. I remember uh, back in my early band days, it was like, hey, we got to come up with like merch ideas. And it's like, okay, t-shirt. Yeah, no doubt. Everyone, everyone's got a t-shirt. <laughs> but wouldn't it be fun to come up with more interesting things? And uh, this was before the time of rompers. Yes. Um but one of the things we we uh, threw out, this was my hot idea, was to get uh, a bed sheet set, you know, like the old Star Wars and Smurfs and, uh, you know, the, the, the sheet set. That would have been really fucking cool. You get a pillowcase with one of our faces on each side. Yes. Uh, um, and then the sheets is like pictures of us rocking out and our logo and stuff. Never came to happen. That'd be a tall order to commission, I can imagine. Well... The idea would be to not really produce more than 10 of them because who's going to really buy these? But just the, I, just the idea that we had them. To sell on novelty alone. Yeah. It'd be like, the, they got bed sheets? That's fucking weird. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's better than what some of these other bands do. Like, hey, we got hot sauce. Like, who gives a shit? No one wants to get diarrhea hey, from the, you. The, the, the hot sauce thing is a big kick right now. And I am a hot sauce aficionado. So I, I can understand the excitement. Some people are really into that stuff. Well, I like hot sauce, but I'm not going to get it from amateur musicians. Yeah. <laughs> well, y- y- some of your favorite pro wrestlers may have hot sauces available at this point in time. Anything you want to plug? Um, I will be closing out the pre-orders for the Death Proof shirts soonish. So feel free to contact me via Twitter or Instagram at Cutthroat Cody, and we can secure your soft design shirt as Timothy Styles goes through his monies. I'm pulling out and money right now because if I don't do it while I'm thinking about it, here's 25 bucks. So and I'm what sh- size I'm, again? I'm sad to say into a microphone, 2X. Right. Don't be sad to say at all. And it, I've, got that Ken- you, I've got that Kenta Kobashi frame. Yes. And very excited about today's episode. And I would definitely like to say the resources that I pulled were from post wrestling on YouTube. Check them out. And uh, I ain't got nothing else to say. 
Let's boogie. Kenta Kabashi, sir. Damn, give me a minute. I put my money away. <laughs> I was trying to cover time for you. Sorry. Cover dead air. <clears throat> yeah, Kenta Kobashi. Well, before we get into that, do you want to talk about how you can't fucking break 200 pounds? I just, I'm, I'm a hard gainer, man. It's, it, I, I have been eating my ass off. I you mean, know what's crazy is that you used to be, didn't you say you used to be 250 the, what? The, I w- the highest that I was, and it's been twice, was 250 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what I am now. But my activity level mm-hmm. was non-existent. Sure, of course. So, And it was all, there was zero muscle mass. It was just all fat. No, correct. And so, Although, I'll say, if anybody's ever seen any old pictures of you, um, you... Much like Kevin Smith, uh, yes. h- held it well. Like you didn't have it in your face. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I had it a little bit in my face, but it wasn't too much in my face. Right. I I was a I was still a a handsome man, man, and I but I've I've had that goal, and I went from one fifty to one ninety. And I'm really proud of being able to put on forty pounds. Well, it's crazy that you went from two fifty down to, to one fifty. Twice. Must have had a lot of extra skin. Yeah, there's there's a lot. And that's why I wear the singlet. Right. You know, like I and I. And if you ever wonder, folks, like, hey, why does Roman Reigns dress the in the fucking vest forever? He doesn't now, as far as I know. Yeah. But for a long time, he was wearing that vest. It's because he had that old linebacker's frame. Same thing with uh, Baron Corbin. Mm-hmm. He had that little extra love handle that, you know, you lose a bunch of weight, you get in shape. That's great. But... There's the remnants of your past ill decisions that you're left with and to that, deal with. I've talked about this before, and I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but that is the one caveat, and it's a big caveat to weight loss. And oftentimes people end up uh, getting a surgery yeah. to remove the excess skin. And you, I mean, you almost, it's not that you have to. I mean, you did the right thing of a person in your position, you know a guy who's on the indies, you're not crushing it monetarily. Right. A singlet is a, is a good way to go while you bulk back up into a respectable size. And I mean, right now, which is, which is a crawl and not a, not a sprint. Correct. And that's the uh, thing too, is we have a uh, gentleman by the name of Jay French who originally trained with B boy out in California for those don't, who don't know who B-Boy is, just look up B-Boy Pro Wrestling, and he is a veteran of the independence. And uh, Jay has lost, I can't. I don't know exactly how much he's lost, but he has lost a tremendous amount of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really, my ear was open for him, and we talk from time to time, and I just had to let him know, like, hey, man, like, you earned, that loose skin is earned. You know, right. but you definitely earned that. And there's a lot of other options. Like you'll see some people get high waisted tights. You know, Danny Birch is another guy um, who lost a lot of weight that I think he may still be currently signed to uh, NXT UK. 
um, but a fantastic wrestler. <laughs> How can we tell anymore? <laughs> Precisely. Uh, but he he's another one, man, and he just got himself some high-waisted tights, and he's out there owning it, you know? Yeah, it's not the best look, if I could be quite honest, when you have the tights that go up, you know, under your 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 pectorals. Yes. You know, but uh, I guess you got to do what you got to do. Um, I, I'd say that the, the singlet is probably the best option until that, that physical situation could be, uh, figured out. I'm just okay with being in it in general, because once again, the loose skin that I have is always going to be there, you know, unless I get it removed. Right. And especially with the amount that I've yo-yoed in just my life alone, let alone uh going through bulking and cutting and things of that nature. Well, I think it's a good um look in the in the first place. Just a, a singlet, you know, what do people wrestle in in college? It's certainly not Singles. briefs. Yeah. You know, uh it's a good look that uh subliminally suggests that this guy uh, can work a little bit. Yes. You know, um, some of the greats have wrestled in singlets. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, man. No, I'm, I'm a fan of it. And it's a different look because there's a lot of, um, when I was first coming up right. on the Indies, I think that the look was kick pads, even though you didn't throw kicks yeah. and uh, baggy pants. And the baggy pants were definitely reminiscent from the Hardys, right? Because everyone kind of want, and then everyone you mean had, not even baggy pants like Jenko jeans. Yes, and then they had such an ugly look. It's the, one of my problems with uh, Delirious. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to say anything. like I I like Delirious's look. I well, yeah. Delirious's look, I'm not like over the moon about, right? Because it, he's. Uh, the character is he's an alien from Mars. I mean, it's otherworldly. What he comes dude, out to Demu Borger yeah. and he I'm speaks a fan in non that. he speaks nonsense like not even uh, English words. See, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. He's wearing no shoes. Tasmanian devil status. Yeah, and and uh, I got to tell you. I'm not sure if I were standing across the ring from that person, like what the fuck is going on? Like you can't tie up with this guy. Can you, I, I, you know, if there's ever a day that I am ever hard pressed, I would love the opportunity to be able to lock up with delirious. Well, of course, because he's a legit, um, he's a legit, well, I don't know how legit of a shooter he is, but he's a very, fluent in his skills he's, as a grappler he's very fundamentally sound yes. which is amazing that he i mean he delirious is from what i know the only thing that he's done outside of booking for ring of honor right. i mean probably before he was delirious um he had a series of matches with matt seidel mm -hmm. and i think that they came from the same training school and those matches i would see him on like iwa mid-south tapes and stuff like that they were just incredible matches Right. And I, I love the backsplash off the top rope. The shadows over hell or the shadows over heck. If you're wrestling in front of kids. <laughs> um, right. And yeah, I, I definitely, 
I was even when I first got my gear made, I modeled it after Eric Cannon and Chris Hero because I was a hefty boy. Yeah. And what better way to be a hefty boy than put yourself in hefty garbage bags? Um, which yeah, what- it was the it was the sort of black vinyl look that was a snug tank top. Yes. Because it fit everything in. Yeah. Uh, but when the light bounces off of the vinyl, it, it doesn't really, do anything. It really no. shows how uh, your your curvy figure. Uh, and then, yes, the baggy pants, which I think is just a, a very dated look. I mean. Yes. I, it wasn't dated back when I was wearing it. Yeah. However, it it was coming up on the tail end, right? And the, the tail end of that. And I remember it was. Because you had Sabu and Hayabusa that had the baggy pants, but they tucked them into the boot, right? Sabu's, though, makes sense because he's essentially wearing the sort of Arabian Nights parachute pants, yes. you know, uh, which befits the character. Who was the other person you said? Hayabusa. Uh, Hayabusa also, I think it, it worked. But yes. the, but the just baggy for this, you know, uh, the Hardy Boys essentially, part of their gimmick, whether- Was shopping at Hot Topic. W- Sorry. <laughs> Whether said or unsaid was um, that, I mean, there's the novelty that they're called the Hardy Boys for one, but they look like a couple of fucking low rent ravers. Yes. You know what I mean? They look like they should be spinning glow sticks and invisible balls. You remember that stupid dance where people yes. would move an invisible ball around? <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's sad because, I mean, the people that love EDM, right? Like, uh-huh. I mean, they just like, they're really passionate about it. And I've just never been able to reach that level of high. Well, Maybe it's because I haven't touched the right drugs and I'm not willing to. Yeah, you're, <laughs> so, you got to be. Yeah, you. I, I, I have a, a client who is like, I'm going to ED, uh, what EDC. It? Yeah, EDC uh, this weekend. This was a few weeks ago. And I said, all right, uh Nice knowing you. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, please don't be dehydrated. She might as well hand me an ID card that says I fucking do shit tons of drugs. Now yeah. she is in the adult uh, entertainment industry, so it shouldn't be a far stretch. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm sure it was a great time had by all. But yeah, the Hardy Boys, and you know what was crazy, and eventually we'll get to Kenta Kobashi, um, is that you know when they started, they came out with Michael P. S. Hayes, who yes. would he came out dressed like them. The the most weirdest, and uh, you want to talk about the perfect move is getting Lita in there and getting uh, PS out. Yeah, because uh, having a weird old dude dressed in that raver garb was so fucking strange. Yes, <laughs> and he had the cane. There. Yeah, he'd be out there with a cane. Imagine your grandpa. All right, let's just say we're having a family get together. Uh, it's the Styles family uh, uh, reunion, and Grandpa shows up. Dressed like he's going to the uh, Electric Daisy Carnival. <laughs> and he's got his cane. That's what it was like seeing Michael Hayes out there. I, I just wish that they had the one trademark of the early days of raves uh, in the late 90s was the fucking pacifiers. When you had grown adults that had Jenko, baby binkies and Jinko jeans. Jinko jeans. UFOs the, was another brand. Yeah, Jinko jeans were essentially two dresses uh, uh, sewn together to make a <laughs> pair of pants. And uh, you would wear like uh, 
uh, running shoes underneath, ironically, because you would do no running. Not at all. Um, you wouldn't and, be able to run if you wanted to. And for some reason, visors. You, you might be able to jump off of a building and use them as parachutes, though. Right. And, Maybe. And for some reason, visors. Yes. They would wear visors, like uh, hats were too confining. Yeah. I, I'll i never understand the... Uh, the candy necklaces and the stuff like that. I would actually. Well, I understand candy necklaces as a 250 pound man of, of <laughs> clothes that you could eat. Please sign me up. <laughs> but but the I pass- can just picture you in a rave with like the edible underwear that was like the fruit of the foot. <laughs> Right, which I don't right. even know. Like, Do they even make those anymore? Like, look at Timothy Styles over there. He's eating his fucking socks. <laughs> Delicious. Hello, turnbuckle boogies. It's James Mattern. I'm walking down some really dirty alleys in Greenwich Village. I've been followed by a bunch of homeless people, and they might catch me because I ate so much the last three days. I've ballooned to. 415 fucking pounds. That's right. Which means I weigh more than any tag team combined in AEW. I'm not a Jim Cornette, but it is kind of hilarious. Like, I like uh, lighter guys. I don't need big dudes. But Jesus Christ. Bobby Fish and Adam Cole came out. And I'm like, this is a, what a tag team. Adam Cole looks like the life of the party who halfway through it smacks three dudes, bangs two of their sisters, flirts with the other one's mom, does a keg stand, badass. Bobby Fish looks like he still collects lunch money as a bully. To this day, goes back to his alma mater. Fifth graders just getting shook down for milk fucking money. And then you hear it a combined weight of 398 pounds. You're like, what the hell's going on here? Why am I scared of these guys? It's hilarious. Everybody, your tag team champions weighing a combined 42 ounces. It, they're barely bigger than the biggest Gatorade, half these tag teams. But guess what? I love it. It's a new world. We don't need everyone to be big. Who gives a shit that King Kong Bundy probably passed a kidney stone better, bigger than the goddamn Lucha Brothers? Who gives a shit? It's a new world, and you go with it, God damn it. All right, I'm going to go poop some of this Thanksgiving meal out so I can uh, team up with someone else's poop and become the new tag team champions. I'll talk to you guys later, Turnbuckle Boogies. Son of a bitch. Maybe that's how I should hard gain. Yeah, I should, get, in, I should invest in some candy necklaces and just, some edible underwear. Just get some fruit of the, yeah, the fruit roll up panties. Yes. And just be like, when, when they were delicious. What? <laughs> yeah. I've never had any edible underwear. Yeah, it, they, they were, it was fruit by the foot. And yeah. it was just shaped into a panty. Well, why not just get fruit by the foot? Because of, of the novelty. Oh, right. It's the novelty of hey saying guys, that you look can at, eat look someone's at me. underwear. I'm eating underwear that hopefully no one has worn. <laughs> <laughs> and if they have, you can only hope that they didn't wear it for a long enough time to get a UTI. Yeah, that's right. Like, oh... Like the, it's like uh, people who test ice cream. You know, they got the gold spoon. They got the guy who his I, job. I hate being that guy. The guy. Then there's the guy who has to test out all the edible underwear. He has to pull them on. But he had Mexican uh, food one night. You know, so oh no. Let's hope you're not eating those ones. Yeah, and don't eat corn the night of all right. as well. <laughs> Man, this is not a wrestling podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
at fucking all. <laughs> well, do we need to go back to uh, Delirious or the Hardy Boys or um, jump right well, to well, Kenta? Well, so what we were talking about, like, just, like, the styles of, like, what was popular on the indies. Mm. And then it got to the point to where, like, a lot of wrestling promotions, I remember I was even told that because when I, I did Taekwondo for a little bit. Mm. And I, I could throw some kicks when I first started training, but then I also was a bigger boy. So I would miss top rope leg drops and then that fucked my hips up. So I stopped throwing kicks. You missed top rope. So you jumped from the top rope and and I would have the person move and you hit them anyway. And that's the miss part. Yeah. So like if I would set them up for the leg drop from the top rope and then they would move. Mm Hmm. Because nobody wanted to actually be hit with it unless it was like a buddy of mine. Right. Right. And yeah, no one wants to lie there while some out of shape guy is yes. wheezing as he gets to the top row. Eh, I'm always eh. I'm always wheezing, regardless of whether I'm in shape or not. Thank you fucking very much, sir. I have this, struggles. This guy with uh two thirds of lungs. Yes. He he's gonna jump on me. No, yes. no thanks. Yep. And uh but I ended up fucking up my hip like really bad. And then like, I just couldn't, I couldn't throw kicks the way that I used to. And then when I, this was before I had even started wrestling on shows. Right. And then when I finally started wrestling on shows, I can't remember who told me, but they're like, yeah, you got kick pads. But like, yeah, I got kick pads. Like, yeah, you don't throw kicks. Oh, you had kick pads on yeah. underneath the pants, uh, underneath the pants. And mm. then I was told, okay, well, if you don't throw kicks, why are you wearing kick pads? You know, I got to hand it to the guy. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Like even in my backyard wrestling uh, foray, I had, I think, kick pads and forearm pads. I found these like, I don't know what sport it was for. Probably I for rem- some sort of sparring. I remember I remember seeing those back in the day. But it was like a glove that went all the way up to your elbow and it had a pad for the forearm as well as the backside of the fist and maybe the knuckles or whatever. Yeah, I had pads all over the place. I don't think I hit one person, <laughs> but it was backyard re- or at least our version of backyard wrestling, which the was the com- wrestling alliance. Yeah, it was a comedy show. Yes, <laughs> really, I just needed something to look like I was a wrestler. Yep. And so I eventually ended up once I got a little bit more in shape, I decided to go. It was actually Jacob Austin Young that had mentioned me. He's like, "You want to know what was a cool look? Mm-hmm. Was Dynamite Kid with the long tights and the singlet." And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Dynamite Kid, Bret Hart, you know, like early, early Owen Hart. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do that. So I just took the same design that was on my hefty trash bag. And I just converted that over to long tights in a singlet. Mm-hmm. And it worked very well for a long period of time. Yeah. And that was back when you really cut down to a skinny level. Yes. that I mean, I I ended up. Uh, dropping a bunch of weight. And I mean, you now look like you ate the man you were before. <laughs> well, and it's it's funny because uh, Impact was just in town, uh-huh. and Matt Stryker was currently working for Impact. Um, I wasn't as aware. a commentator. He's a commentator again, yeah. And I didn't recognize Stryker because he had a mask on, and uh, we were actually at what Dunk- did he have a mask on for? Uh, we were at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, oh, inside of Sam's town. <laughs> he, he, he didn't have a hood on. Yeah. He had an actual, had like please an actual... don't give me a vet, the uh, COVID mask. Yeah. And then he also had a ponytail, which was, it's, oh. the lo- it's the longest that I had ever seen his hair. Yeah. Right. And then I remember looking over at him. I'm like, well, that, that dude's definitely a worker. 
I'm like, I'm going to get my coffee. Did uh, he have a fanny pack on? What was the giveaway? Um, Just body type. Yeah. You, you can tell body type uh, from like his shoulders really broad. And then um, I'll, I'll introduce myself when we're inside mm-hmm. setting up. And then um, lo and behold, it was actually Stryker because then I saw the same dude walking around without the mask on. And I was like shocked. And then I put myself in front of him and he was actually walking with baby Hebner. And the last time Matt Stryker saw me was when I was on my keto cut. Right. And he, he was blown away. Right. He, he, he was like, Oh wow. And he, he <laughs> Hey buddy was going on. Yeah. He, 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 he had a, he had a, I don't want to say it was a backhanded compliment, mm. but he said something along the lines. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I started taking things a little bit more seriously. Right. And then he just kind of looked at me and then he was like, well, good job. And I told him I'm trying to make a dent. Yeah. And then he said, still. <laughs> and yeah, I'm well, still what trying did you mean to make, by a, make dent. a dent. Um, what I meant by make a dent was like, let people know that I'm a fucking pro wrestler. Right. Right. Well, maybe he didn't understand that. Well, and regardless, uh, it, it was a pleasant conversation. Um, Hebner was really cool. This time impact. Um, it was a, it was a better experience than before. There's still some assholes in the world that I won't name. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome to see. They ended up using Jay Vidal and they used Sandra moon for the tapings. So uh, I think she got picked up by impact. Didn't she? She's not picked up. Are you sure? I'm positive. Yeah. She's, she just had the match. She's so young. Yes. She's very young. She, I think, under 21 still, or maybe just turned 21. Yeah. I mean, girls, if you've ever had an interest, uh, you'll get hot-shotted right into the business if you're competent enough. Well, and that's the thing is, is that, you know, like outside of... You got an edge over the fellas. I'll say that. Well, outside of that, Sandra has worked incredibly hard. I'm not taking anything away from what she's done. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. She's perfectly capable. I'm just saying... Uh, and and look, I follow on the uh, the Instagram hashtag pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Just anyone who tags something pro wrestling, and every now and then there's just some some skanky bitch who's like the fucking the BFC, you know, world champion, uh, you know, and it's like some like straight up girl. Like this girl doesn't look like she could uh, fight at all. How serious is this? Right. Um, but. Uh, uh, you know, I think if you're a girl and you were serious about wanting to get into the industry and you weren't just like some supermodel, yeah, uh, you put the time in. You yeah. have a, uh, I won't say you have a better shot than a guy, but the odds are in your favor because, you know, for every, for every girl, there's 25 plus men. And that was, that's the thing that always really was hard with Sandro is that there was a period of time when the only girls that we had at FSW were Maserati and yeah. Sandra Moon. And we ended up getting a few more girls to come down, but our roster is still primarily dominated by men. Right. And thankfully for the help of uh, the MK bandit, uh, Matthew Robles, uh, shout out to him. He has actually financially backed some future stars of women's wrestling shows. So he's been able to bring some girls in from out of state uh, to run cards. And yeah, you, I, I would say that it's for just the sheer lack of women. However, 
there's kind of a turn around the corner now to where there's more all woman shows that are being run. I mean, Shimmer has still been going this entire time. Well, and I think the what WOW Women of Wrestling is yes. starting up. Isn't that the news? They're like, starting up again. I think they got Tessa Blanchard and um, oh man, oh, man that te- uh, that was fun. Uh, did you see Tessa Blanchard's T-shirt for uh, Women of Wrestling? No, I'm pretty sure it got immediately pulled, but uh, it just said Tessa Blanchard nuclear heat. Like misspelled? No, like properly spelled. And it was just a cool graphic of a mushroom cloud. Uh, What's wrong with that? Um, The fact that she has nuclear heat. Dude, don't you want nuclear heat? It's not that type of heat, brother. It's heat because there's allegations that are confirmed that she is a racist. So yes. So Tessa Blanchard, unfortunately uh, she's not going to be able to get work very much anywhere else right now until something happens to where she makes some public apologies or something like that. So wow is already misfired by thinking that that was okay to do. Oh, well, I disagree with this entire conversation. How so? We'll carry on. No, no, no. I'm not interested into uh, the social justice aspects of this. Right. I believe that if someone is an asshole, they get ca- called out. Look, I, I believe, and I'm not a right-wing guy by any stretch. Right. Uh, I believe that she's had to suffer it cosmically, yeah. whether people understand that or not. Um, besides COVID, you know, she was not working for the better half of three years. Right. You know what I mean? And how, and is there no such thing as penance? Um, so we, we're definitely on different sides of the fence than this because once again, like she's also on two different sides of the fence because, um, not politically, just socially, we're just different in this way. Well, but we're also I'm directly in the industry sure. where I have to deal with people that are gigantic piles of shit. Sure. Well, and guess what? I and can't, you- I can't say any, Oh, I'm so sorry that Tessa Blanchard kicked somebody from our locker room out of the locker room on Samstown when she had every right to be there, that she ended up being ousted for being a shithead. Yeah, but, I can't say sorry to that. But there's there's some the problem is is that with this sort of stuff, to there's so many degrees of separation yeah. that it's very easy to hear um, you know, you hear about it all the time. The media, the media, you know. Well, social media is a large part of the media. The, and social ve- media has become media. Yeah, and it's it's very easy to to hear a narrative, yeah, become overly passionate about that, yep. and want to enforce it. And I just think it's it's uh, I see it all the time when people like my father watches too much Fox News or whatever it is he fucking does all day. Right. Um, and will, you know, just mention some cross thing about Mexicans. And it's like, what in the fuck? Right. You know, it, it, it's, this is not the man I grew up with. Right. You could see how these things sort of change people on in a, in a personal way. Now there's me, a guy who spends zero time on social media, which I applaud you for. I guess it's not that hard. I just, I'm into living an analog lifestyle having, you know, this is why I prefer when we do our show, we are sitting in front of each other and not looking across a screen, which sometimes we have to do because of scheduling or whatever. Or I have a board game night where I get together with my friends instead of, um, 
communicating with them via Facebook posts or things like that. I just don't find it to be healthy behavior because it can, it can lead to um, people becoming overly passionate about things that they don't fully um, know. Now you could say, I know because I know all these people. Right. And they've said it, but you're not getting a, there is something as due process. And I do believe there are two sides to every story. Now, as I understand, Tessa Blanchard uh, once uh, said the N-word to somebody. Yes. And, okay, that's not right to do. I'm pretty sure she knows that now, three years later. Right. After she was, after it was addressed to her in a public forum. And there's, but there's more than that that goes into it. And I could tell you this much right now. I wouldn't even have to read a Facebook post for my opinion to be made. And the furthest that I'm going to go into the story is, is that, like I mentioned before, this was a very different experience being at impact. Right. Right. A very different experience being an impact for the better or worse for the better. That's good. But any other time before that, there was always issues with them treating our people like shit. Right. And Tessa Blanchard was one of those people. Right. So I don't need to hear a social media post. My opinion is not influenced by anything other than the fact of firsthand knowledge of these people being pieces of fucking shit. And I can't feel bad for someone that's a piece of shit. Yeah. And Uh, sadly there is there in every form of entertainment. Of course. There is this sort of idea of a pecking order. And, uh, you know, people with TV time are going to be higher in the pecking order, uh, than people who don't have any TV time. Right. Now you would hope that they would be professionals, or, or what have you, uh, uh, instead of just being, you know, the kind of person who, when you go to shake their hand, they give you, they scoff and go, you know, right. You know, that's not uh, correct behavior, but I don't know. I don't, well, I don't know what it takes the, uh, these, I think that the problem is, is that, and I, you know, you hear Jim Cornette have been saying it for years, the professional and uh, wrestling industry Will, if you're not crazy already, make you fucking crazy. Right. You know, so maybe it's a rite of passage that these people who have made it to TV, the amount of time they put in, has made them standoffish pricks. His partner, Group Japan. 
but at the same time, I've met people that have had the same amount of experience that are completely different than that. And here's the thing that you don't have to agree with it and you don't have to like it, but I can tell you this much right now Mm -hmm. as somebody that has things that are coming up that they have to see to the end. And as somebody that has seen people who deserve to get checked and eat a slice of humble pie, the wrestling industry through the speaking out movement has changed for the fucking better for the better Mm -hmm. from what I have had to personally interact with and deal with these people. Right. Right. And you have a situation to where now do I necessarily agree with everything that comes up? No. Right. But when it comes up about somebody that I have firsthand knowledge of in other situations being unprofessional Mm -hmm. assholes, I relish in it. Yeah, but does time not heal wounds? I come from a family uh, with the last normal Thanksgiving that I had other than the one that I just had. A shotgun was pulled. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that? Um, It was, we're probably thinking about seven to ten years at this point. Right. But you went maybe to th- even longer. But you went to your family Thanksgiving yesterday. No, I didn't. I actually oh. had to make a new family to fucking invite over to Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. Because there's people that I've had to cut out of my life because right. there's people that have done terrible fucking things to me. Right. But terrible I, things. But I think you're painting these social situations with your own personal makeup. And that's what makes us individuals. Right. And but that's what and, makes us different. That's and all. It, yeah. And, and that's OK to have forgiveness. But I can tell you this much right now. I used to be a very forgiving person Mm -hmm. and I would be victimized by the same things and the same people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the only way that you can break the cycle is by ousting them and sending them onto a little tiny Island. And maybe one day if they can figure it out, one thing that I think wouldn't be hard to agree on, and I'm not trying to pry this out of you. Oh, that's all right. If they were really going to give Tessa Blanchard another shot, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's in good taste for them to release the shirt that they did. I think it would have just been very easy to get your diamond logo that's on her gear. Right. And you put TB. I I will agree. That's it's. I will. I I will agree that uh, it's cheap heat. Yeah. Yes. And And it's uh, bad fucking form. Great. That's my phrase. Bad, yeah. Bad form. Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily bad form. I think it's cheap heat. And therefore, I, I look at you as creatively bankrupt. Yes. Cheap heat is lazy, in my personal opinion. Yes. I need you to go out there and get something that you earned, not something that you were stricken with. Yes. Because you're a fucking idiot. Right. I need you to wise up and get smart. And, and the one thing that I can hope just for the sake of people in general is that they get better. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can hope. But I can tell you this much right now. We live in a day and age where just because you apologize about something does not mean the person that you wronged has to accept that apology. Sure. And that is ultimately where people need to learn what happens when you do something wrong is now there seems to be more circumstances and consequences before when these people were protected by their hierarchy. Wrestling did this to itself, and now it's fixing itself. And I applaud it because now there's people that I see that they treat others 
with respect they treat others professionally and there's been times where i've fucked up but guess what happens when i fuck up either in the moment i stop myself and i say hey i need to calm down or the next day i have to contact that person like i crossed a line right i am sorry and I hope you can forgive me right. without expecting those people to turn and forgive me, you know, and I have told you before and I've told other people before, I don't really have to watch what I say too much because I know there's just some things that you don't talk about with people in today's day and age. And, uh, I don't know. We're doing it right now. Well, yeah, but that's for me, I've seen the benefits and from being in the industry, it's just something that I I can succeed in a world where people are being held accountable for being shitheads. I actually have a shot at succeeding now, whereas before other people would keep me down. And now it's a whole new playing field and I will fucking succeed in it. I think it's just a uh, open season for a new generation of dickholes to get involved. Yes. <laughs> one wave out, the next one is up to bat. Yep, absolutely. And they'll get checked easily. No, they won't. You jerk. Well, who knows? That in. Well, whatever. <laughs> so let's talk about positive shit. What is positive? Well, let's start Kenta with... Kabashi's uh, dope. Uh, well, before we get to that... <laughs> look, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know the people are listening to this after Thanksgiving, but I'll just say thank you for uh, 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 being part of the show with me for, it's got to be close to a year at this point. Uh, this is the longest project that we've had, and I'm thankful for you. And the one thing that I am thankful for you mm. is despite the fact where we may not always see eye to eye, mm -hmm. we are still able to disagree without disrespecting each other. <laughs> that, that comes from my way of life. I, that, uh, I, I, di I didn't mean for this podcast to turn into, uh, Timothy Stiles criticizes the internet. Although the stay tuned for my new show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Timothy Stiles must die version too. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I recognized that behavior going on and how it affected me. And I saw it in person, how it affected other people. And I yep. said, this is not a way. Uh, to healthily live my life, and I I won't participate. And you checked out. Yes, because I think if you, uh, in order to be an intellectual, in order to be a, a serious critical thinker, you can't sit in this echo chamber and shout at the clouds all right. fucking day. It's just it it gets nobody nowhere, and you look like a self righteous jerk. Now I understand. I know that I'm talking about the majority of society. Yeah, man. Um. But I would rather be an outlier um, and an individual than somebody who just joins the mob. Having said that, I'm open-minded and I'm perfectly capable of being wrong. And I will have a conversation with anybody as long as their opinion is educated. I'm open to it and I appreciate it because any day where I get to learn something new is a great day. I, I, I like to be challenged. Yeah, I don't. And it's not even for the sake of being right sometimes. Right. To me, I don't want to be right. And I oftentimes will talk to the students at Future Stars Wrestling about it. And I'm like, I'll, I'll share my opinion and then I will ask the entire room. Does it make sense what I'm saying? And if there's 
an overall consensus of yes. And I'm like, but is there anything else that could debate me? Because I'm opening this up because I want to know a different angle. Yeah, you're in an interesting position because you're a, a, a teacher. Yes. And people look to you for information, but you still are learning. Yes. And the thing that that does is, is if you create a dialogue mm. instead of a dictatorship. Right. And if you create a place where people can share ideas. Um, there, I, I posted a clip of a West Borland interview. I thought you were going to say West Borough Baptist church. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. But, um, there was, a yes, West Borland, the, uh, fantastic guitarist, uh, yet out of place person in Limp Bizkit. Biscuit, yes. Uh, he, he did an interview with Johnny Sins from Avenged Sevenfold, and it randomly just came up on my phone as I was in the shower shaving, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get to my phone to stop it. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just listen to it, right? And then it caught my attention long enough to where I listened to the entire thing, and Johnny Sins had started talking to Wes Borland about what the next plan was for him. He was like, okay, well, when you're done with live performing, what do you think it's going to be for you? And Wes Borland was saying, well, I want to end up being a composer. You know, like I would like to follow the same road that people like Trent Reznor and Danny Elfman did. Frank Zappa. Yep. And then. Hey, what about fucking uh, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh? He's the shit. That too. And Do you know who that is, or are you just saying You're going to have to tell me. He's a, f- a key member of Devo, brother. There you go. Uh, I think, I want to say the guy from Local H, too, but I might be talking out Google Mark Mothersbaugh, folks, and, and look at that long list of movies that he scored way more than Danny Elfman and uh, who was the other person? Oh, Trent Reznor, Trent Reznor. combined. And I, and I love Danny Elfman, you know? Right. I like Oingo Boingo. I think Mark Mothersbaugh did the Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse That's dope. Uh, theme song. That's dope. So uh, Wes Borland had started sharing his love with Danny Elfman with Johnny Sins. And Johnny Sins is like, we actually did a project with a subsidiary, something that had something to do with Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. And then Danny Elfman came in on a day. And the lead singer of Avenged Sevenfold had went up to Danny Elfman and is like, yeah, we should totally do it like this. And Danny Elfman just kind of like snapped back on him. Like you're telling me how to do it like that. Right. You know? And then Johnny sins was kind of laughing it off. And Wes Barlin is like, that actually is a bummer to hear, man. And like, I, I would never discredit somebody if they had an idea just because they were young and because they didn't have the experience that I had. And he's like, that's a really closed minded way of thinking. Sure. And granted, there may Ooh. be a lot more in that situation. Yeah. There may be a lot more in that story. I, right. Well, look, if, I like it when you stop me and go, uh, T, I'm the pro wrestler here. Well, right. fucking, you're I'm, the musician. I'm the musician here. And boy, I'll tell you what, if Danny Elfman says something, I'd fucking listen. Of course. And look, I like Wes Borland and yeah. this other guy I don't give two shits about, but, um, Danny Elfman back when Oingo Boingo was just a silly band they were so interestingly complex I promise we are going to talk about Kenta Kobashi at least for a minute (laughs) (laughs) but they were so interestingly complex during a time where things were so mind-numbingly simple and stupid right and you know during the 80s 
um, it's easy to see how he became a composer. Just listen to like a, uh, you know, Google the video for um, little girls. I, I, I love little girls. They make me feel so good. I love little girls. They make me feel so bad. Which is I, I, I love little girls. They, they make, make me feel so good. I love Yep. You know. It doesn't seem like much of anything, but that song is in a fucking wappy, uh, a wacky, uh, a wappy, wappy. That's a, <laughs> that's a new word. It's wappy. That's my favorite Megan the Stallion song. Wappy. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They had a song called WAP, W-A-P, huh? wet, wet Ass Pussy. Oh, yes. You don't know that one, huh? Anyway, wacky. It was such a wacky time signature. You know, way advanced for any just average band. Mm-hmm. And clearly, this guy was a genius and way ahead of his time. And of course, it would make sense as he would go on to work with uh, Tim Burton and all this stuff. Anyway, all that being said, seriously, let's talk about Kenta Kobashi. Hello, Turbuckle Buggies. It's James Madden. I'm in Kipps Bay. I'm about to get my booster shot because I want to go back to kissing strangers and not worrying about Delta, Omega, Omelia, whatever this new shit is. I'm getting another computer chip right in me. Let's go. I want, I'm, I'm not scared. They already know where I'm, the government already knows I'm talking to you right now about Nick Bockwinkle. That's right, this is my response to last week. T brought up that um, I thought Nick Bockwinkle was the most boring, entertaining wrestler. His promos were great, guys. He wore suits all the time, but he was, look, Look, watch that match that you talked about, Henning and Bockwinkle. You'll pick up your phone, you'll text everyone. You'll text girlfriend, ex-girlfriends, strangers. You'll, you'll, call, you'll call Taco Bell and be, hey, how, how you guys doing out there? You, you, family members you don't talk to anymore. Family members you met once in a family reunion in West Virginia. You only went because you lost a bet. You'll be talking to them. You'll call the IRS, hey, do I owe you money? It's goddamn boring. And before you can finish texting those people, you'll be passed the fuck out. All due respect, he was great champion. A- There's a reason why the AWA went to shit. That man wearing seven suits at once, smelling like Aquavelva. He was a 53-year-old man for 30 years. Great promos, but eventually like, oh my God, I can smell the old man cologne on you. Shut up. Find a young champion that isn't rock and roll Zuboff, whatever that shit guy was. All due respect, I love Nick Bockwinkle, but AWA was the most boring product in the world and he was the face of it for years. They should have put the belt on Henning as a baby face earlier and they didn't. And then look at him. The living legend Larry Zabisco. God bless him. What are we doing, guys? That's it. Long live Nick Bockwinkle and the bottle of NyQuil that he wore as a belt because I fell asleep all the goddamn time watching that product. I might fall asleep in this fucking promo. Still, better champ than Rick Martel. I mean, that's your answer to Hogan, Vern, Rick Martel? Stop it. Stop it. All right, Turnbuckle Boogies. It's time for me to get boosted up so I can go back to kissing booty holes. I'll talk to you later, Turnbuckle Boogies. Kenta motherfucking Kabashi. Yes. Um, Or 45 minutes into this episode here. 
to talk about one of the greatest goddamned wrestlers who's ever existed. There's a lot of stuff that you can find out about Kenta Kabashi. Uh, I actually listened to a little bit of a podcast from, I believe I mentioned post wrestling. They have a really good YouTube channel. I highly recommend checking it out. And, uh, they were able to put a biography together of Kenta Kabashi and, now, I didn't see it. Yeah, now knowing more, it's it's an audio only. But or I didn't hear it. Yeah, now knowing more about him, I uh, thought you would have been. Uh, if anybody, I could have counted on to give me a schooling because I mean, I didn't watch uh, uh, Noah or All Japan at that time. I had to sort of absorb uh, his stuff and Masawa's stuff sort of retroactively. Right. But once I did, I was obviously in love. So the Noah, the Noah pay-per-views I was watching kind of as they were happening, uh, the 2003 navigations and stuff. I should say quickly, I don't mean I watched them retroactively recently. I mean, years ago when I, you know, sort of really dug deep into wrestling. Carry on. I think that the, the first real Kent Kabashi match that I watched was him versus June Akiyama for a Noah event. I think it was called great navigation or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a suplex, just a standard vertical suplex off the ring apron. And Kabashi was the one delivering the suplex. If I remember correctly and the impact of it, Made your chest hurt? No. <laughs> he, he actually had expelled blood from his nose and his mouth. Jeez. And then he went and he grabbed his stomach. Yeah. And so I don't know what internally combusted on that man, but. Well, dude, you cannot take those bumps. I mean, honestly, I watch a lot of pro wrestling Noah from the you know late 90s and the, the early, early 2000s. 2000s just because it's it's the most realistic version of wrestling you could possibly find. I mean, these guys are fucking killing each other and doing some seriously dangerous drops. I mean, when you walked in here, uh, before we hit record, I was watching an old, uh, Mizawa, uh, Kobashi match. And, um, it's early in the match. I mean, like 10 minutes in and the, it's like the very first high impact move. It's just a, uh, Oh, what was it? Like a belly back soup. It was a backdrop driver. Yeah. Very similar to the one that Stan Hans, not Stan Hans, but Steve Williams would deliver. But I don't think it was meant to be a driver, but that's sure the fuck it how it ended up. And just for folks who, who don't know, who don't speak video game language, <laughs> uh, a, a driver means you're going straight down on your dome. And that's how he took it. Good grief. I grimaced. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. And the, the, all their matches were this way. And the apron bumps, yeah. I think, were uh, like it started in all Japan yep. with the apron bumps. And then it carried over to Pro Wrestling Noah. But after hearing more of Kabashi's story, the only thing that I knew is that I loved Kabashi because he had matches that even though they were docking 45 minutes on the clock, you were still enthralled with the match. You wouldn't think about, well, this is kind of going long, right? Right. Whereas if you see a bad indie match, that's going long, (laughs) uh, it it could only be seven minutes. It's like, man, this feels like fucking forever. Right. Right. But their, their matches were 
pretty consistently paced. Yes. You know, they would work into an actual climax. And there would be moments where they'd be, what do you call that when both guys are down? Double down. Double down. They'd have plenty of double downs where it's just like, Jesus Christ, the crowd would be, you know. And look, you know, most American fans, they know, you know, Japanese crowds to be pretty timid. Not during these big, high-profile all-Japan matches. Right. Uh, They were coming unglued because, you know, they were hitting each other with everything they had, and they were dropping each other on their necks. It was unreal. And I think that... uh the, I, I always knew that Kabashi lost a lot of matches. You're right. I remember when I was coming up, I was told by somebody, oh, he lost his first 100 matches. It wasn't 100. It was 63. Yeah. And yeah, they, he lost. Uh, it was, uh, who was it? Giant Baba. Yeah. Giant Baba, who was the uh, owner and the, the, the guy who ran the show, he said, yeah, you're going to lose your first shit ton of matches. And yeah, he didn't win one until number 64. But the, the reason for that was so that he can look like the underdog, despite the fact he was a fucking jacked monster. And the lesson that can be learned in that is that if you go out and wrestle like it doesn't matter whether you're going to win or lose and you go out like you're trying to win every time. Yeah. It, people can see that. Right. And that's something that when people complain to me about wins and losses, it's like, yo, Kabashi lost 63 matches. I don't think Tommy Dreamer ever won any important feud he was ever in. The whole entire feud based around him and Raven was on the fact that he couldn't pin Raven. Right. And they went on for a pretty long time with that feud. Yeah, a really long time. And that's something that, you know... You can still win in a match without actually winning. Mm. And it's what you have to do to put yourself out there and make it seem like you give a shit. Um, I found out today that Kabashi was raised in a single parent household and his mother was his primary caretaker. Uh, He wanted to become a pro wrestler after watching Mil Mascaris versus a Jumbo Chitsura at a all Japan a live event and basically kind of bothered Baba until he like, okay, yeah, I'll train you. And Baba became his father figure. Right. And you know, the, um, the absolute commitment that that man had to being dropped on his head. Uh, <laughs> like it, he, he ended up running into a lot of issues with injuries towards the end of his career. Yeah. He had real bad knees. Yes. And, uh, Judah Matthew, uh, who is uh, another local wrestler in town, who is also a Japanese uh, tape connoisseur, mm-hmm. um, he was working at a motel, he told me, and Kabashi was there for some convention. In, in Vegas? In Vegas. I, I, maybe it was in California. I can't remember. But wherever he was working, he was uh, working the front desk and watched Kabashi have a really difficult time walking with his cane to the gym yeah. and then got in there and just kept on banging out weights, yeah. you know? And oh, who is it he learned? Because it was like some American person. I think it was like Terry Bam Bam Gordy who, who gave him a diet and exercise regime. And that's where he started bulking well, up. It was actually the road warriors. That's right. It yes. was, it was uh, it, Hawk the, an animal. And um, yeah, I mean, he's only six, foot one i believe but uh yeah he bulked up to 250 yep yeah, he's a thick motherfucker and not only did he bulk and, up to 250 but he could still move yeah and not not only was he uh like a thick powerhouse of a dude 
but he looked even bigger standing across from Mazawa, which he did oftentimes. Yes. Because Mazawa had, uh, you know, Jerry the King Lawler's physique. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, there was a period of time where I think Mazawa through his tenure as Tiger Mask and yes, he was in a lot better shape, a lot better shape. But as he aged, man, he ended up having a hard time. And it was always funny. Just a well, key- it, it look. Sorry, to, I didn't mean to You're interrupt. Good. But, you know, there's something to be said about being a success. You know, if you stick to what you do, eventually you can be a success in it. And sometimes that lines up when your metabolism decides to quit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Know? So this motherfucker can afford a bunch of steaks and... Uh, God damn it, his 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 guts are doing him no favors. But right, still a beloved figure. Yep, and he. It's also funny how um, Akira Tau actually aged into Giant Baba. Like, if you right, look yeah. at Akira Tau from like a couple years, maybe five years ago, mm-hmm. he he looks like Baba now, which is fucking wild. Different sizes, I imagine. Um, it, uh, I'm pretty sure a little Isn't bit under. Giant Baba, like fucking six foot eleven or yeah, something. Yeah, Baba was big, but Akira Tau was the tallest of the four pillars. Ah, yeah. Right, so he wasn't. He was. If anyone was close to Baba, it was him. It was also strange because he also wore red tights. Right. Kind of weird how that works out. Hey, man, let's talk about that match with Kenta Kabashi. Was that the first time you worked with him, that shot in uh, Ring of Honor? Yep. Yeah, first time ever. Um, we had met previously a couple times when I was over in Japan, uh, just real, you know, real brief, you know, hey, how you doing meetings? And then, uh, you know, uh, when we got into New York, and uh, you know, we got down. Man, that was a hell of a damn match was, uh, I mean... Uh, it was just a great match, a hell of a damn match. So obviously, m- mutual respect on both sides. Had he seen you from, uh, you know, film past or knew who and what you were? Uh, yeah, man, huge mutual respect. Um, it was funny, man. Uh, you know, Kobashi coming into to, to America, you know, he really thought that nobody knew who the hell he was, and he also thought that you know he wasn't going to get a reaction. He thought he was going to be booed like he was Mr. Fuji or something. I mean, that was really his perception of what would happen in America. He'd never been over here before, right? And I'm trying to and I'm trying to explain to him in, in, in my somewhat conversational Japanese that you know everybody out there knows you. Everybody knows who you are. Uh, trust me, uh, your tapes have been sold illegally to all these people well before this match was ever uh, put in place. So you know they know everything. So then you know we're calling the match, and he's calling. And he, when he's starting to you know we're starting to put together this match. I mean, he's making it really. I mean, uh, kind of, uh, you know, 60s heelish, uh, right. you know, ah, I'm the evil Japanese guy. I, I remember at one point kind of stopping everything and turning around, looking to him, explaining to him, trust me, big baby face. <laughs> right. Don't worry about anything. You guys go out there, we'll, we'll kick ass up. Let me do my thing, you do your thing, and they'll, they will love it. Don't change anything. So, you know, they had a little bit of a hard time, you know, kind of taking my word for it. But then finally the the, the, the managing guy over there got him to, to, to sign on, and we went out there. And, I mean, when he walked through that curtain, I think uh, that, that 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 fan reaction was enough to convince him that all right, uh, these people are here to see me. And uh, I mean, we, we had a lot of fun. It was brutal, it was physical, but you know, uh, when you're given those opportunities, and a lot of guys in wrestling are, uh, you take full advantage of it. And uh, I had a blast, man. Man, it's total. Uh, it's a great vibe in that little uh, arena. Where, where where was that? Because I mean, there's a couple thousand people there. It wasn't the biggest place in the world, but man, the atmosphere was badass. And of course, like you said, as soon as he came through the curtain, they knew who he was. They uh, knew exactly what they were getting, and and uh, they got a great match. I don't, I don't know if they knew what they were going to get a great match or not, but they sure knew who he was. But it was just a, a great atmosphere. And sometimes those smaller venues are better than a, a big ass stadium. 
Oh, absolutely, man. I think I think any time that you get, uh, you know, uh, a thousand impassioned fans compared to five thousand kind of wayward fans and, and a spread out arena, you always got a better uh, situation going on. And uh, you know that night, especially Ring of Honor, you know, with that with that uh, kind of uh, zealousness of a fan base and and and, and them loving Japanese wrestling as much they did, which was the whole reason that the company was created in the first place. Um, it was kind of it was kind of the perfect mix of, of everything. It was a perfect night, man. It was you know crowd wrestlers. Um, energy, everything, and it all came together. And uh, I mean, it, it, it was a blast. And it's uh, you know, it's one of those fond memories you look back on. And you go, oh, we we tore the roof off, and we had a, we had a hell of a time doing it. But uh, there is a Kabashi match that unfortunately I can't remember the date. But one of my favorite matches that he had was against Doctor Duff Steve Williams. And it was the match that Steve Williams hit him with the three backdrop drivers. Right. And it, I, like I said, I can't remember the exact date. They had more than one match, but whatever one had the three backdrop drivers, man, that was just gnarly, gnarly stuff. And it, it's sad because I feel like Masawa would probably still be around today if it wasn't for him trying to carry on this style. Right. You know, because at that point, Kabashi was done in 2013. Yeah. You know, and then the time, I don't know the time of death off of the top of my head, but Mazawa was somebody that wrestled probably long after uh, Kabashi was, yeah, uh, actually, no, he died before Kabashi retired. That's my apologies, 2009. You know, it's just a shame. It's a shame because I love that style, but at the same time, there's a timestamp. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you because you're obviously somebody who's highly influenced by this, and it, and it shows in the ring. And 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 I don't mean to to break kayfabe here, but you do it a bit more safer than these guys ever even bother to try. I, I'll I, I'll save a neck bump for is it necessary? Right. And but I, the, with the forearms or a knife yes. edge, fucking karate chop to the neck. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if you're doing knife edge chops on the neck like that. But my my chop game is getting a little bit better, but my elbow game is strong as shit. But, <laughs> you know, I, Eddie Kingston is somebody who yep. worships at the altar of both of these guys. And, you know, you saw it in that recent CM Punk Kingston match where he, he starts the match by throwing the back spinning knife edge whack to the neck and yep. Punk just goes down. It's yep. a, a hard sell. I don't think it's a sell. He it cleans him out. Did he, you finally get to see that match? Uh, yeah. 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 Good match. So, um, but is this an issue in today's day and age? Do people see this stuff and go, I want to bring this to the table in whatever promotion I'm working in? You know, is this something that happens? Uh, because I know that there is within the industry uh, something of a little bit of a, uh, at least the American industry, there's something of a disgust with people who have to deal with these guys who want to be strong style and or, or King's Road and fucking really throw down. And, and, there, and there's some people, it's rare that you have um, too many people that are just out of touch. They're, I'm not going to name the guy. And it's not King's Road style, but he came into my class years ago and uh, and was just getting rough. Good enough guy. Right. But he he came in. He's like, because I normally ask people that have been in the business for a little bit. Yeah. You know, if they come to my class, I'm like, what do you need? Right. Like, what can I do for you? So you feel like you 
got something out today. Right. And he's like, well, I want to work on a new finisher. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the finisher? You know, El Generico's Brain Buster. And how was his brain buster? El Generico, when he was El Generico, would start his brain buster out like a superplex, but then he would turn and drive his opponent's head on the top turnbuckle and then just let go of him. And they were just kind of left to their own devices with how they would bump. Okay. And El Generico recently got signed to WWE and my man has never hit that move recently in WWE. Unless I've, he's recently hit it because I haven't no, no, seen no. Hold him. on. He recently got signed to no, WWE? I mean, and at that time frame. Oh. Within that time frame, I should Folks, if you that. don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Sami Zayn here. Yes. Sorry to spoil the magic. magic right? <laughs> and, and I remember just kind of looking at him. I'm like, dude, like, I, I take some risky stuff. Right. I wouldn't take that from you. Dropping a guy head... In a in a missile, a vertical missile yeah. downwards, and leaving them to figure out how they're going to bump on their own, is pretty reckless. Extremely reckless. And there's been like I mean, there's like YouTube compilations of some of these people missing the top turnbuckle. Yeah, and then they go straight to the canvas. Right. And I just had to tell them, I'm like, dude, there's no way that we're doing this. Oh, this is the student. Yeah, and right. it wasn't long after that that he ended up leaving uh, FSW yeah. and he started working from some other promotions. And then eventually he stopped the business entirely. And it was funny because he ended up trying to trash the company on social media uh, and saying, always oh, a, a, what have we learned today? Exactly. Always a fucking, a goddamn stupid way to fucking deal with shit. And it, the, Grow the, up. the comment that he said was like, FSW had the most hazing of any locker room that I've ever seen. It's like, so I hazed you. You're saying that me saying that I care too much about my own well-being and the well-being of everyone else here for you to drop them on their necks. That's hazing. Right. Go ahead and have fun. Right. right? You know, and that's the and that's the thing that's just kind of ridiculous is that unfortunately there are some people that I don't find that people are watching a lot of old all Japan or uh, Noah right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are watching like YouTube clips or not YouTube clips, but clips on Instagram and clips on Twitter right. of some really dangerous moves. And I, I mean, uh, uh, we have a associated Twitter account and Puri I do follow like a vintage Puriso. Um, and yeah, they, they share a lot of stuff where it's like, wow, that's cool. Um, but that really shouldn't be done. Right. Um, and it, 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 it got me thinking this week uh, that I wonder if the modern fan is reacting to the amount of risk that's involved with each bump. If that's really what wrestling has become now that uh, working seems to have not completely gone the way of the dodo. Right. But has taken a backseat to high spots. And um, fans can always appreciate, you know, sort of back and forth chain wrestling. And then it comes to the standoff. Way hey, all right. You know, hooray. But by and large. Then you always have one asshole in the crowd that screams wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, you're dude. at a wrestling show, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it seems like they they really pop for moves that take the, the life or health of the 
uh, performers, there's a word I won't use that often, mm-hmm. um, uh, it puts them at serious risk. Yep. Whether it's and and whether it's the people in the ring who are doing it, and they they have a they have the risk under control, like they have it fine tuned, so there's as little risk as possible, mm-hmm. or just completely reckless shit, where guys are cracking each other with non-drained incandescent light tubes or any number of wacky shit they'll pop for. Yeah. And it, and it makes you wonder, is, is this right? Have we been as wrestling fans conditioned into, um, uh, wrestling fans are like fucking dogs. If you train them, they'll react the way you want, but it takes fucking a generation to train them. Yep. And I, I think that there's some aspects of that that are true, but at the same time, I've seen people uh, not be able to control a crowd by just doing moves. Right. So you kind of have to paint between uh, the lines there in order to get a broader picture. Um, sometimes I feel like there's certain crowds mm-hmm. that there's there's matches that I've wrestled in front of crowds that they're indie fans. And if they're indie fans, I know that that's when I'm going to have to bring something out of my move set. That's probably a little bit higher than I normally do. I mean, if there are indie fans, you do have uh, a burning hammer on load. Yes. I I have a modification for the burning hammer. I've got, what do you call it? A bleeding bleeding hammer. hammer. Yes. Bleeding hammer. And I've got, but I, but I always, that's the thing that I've tried to do for myself is, is that, I know that if I'm wrestling in front of kids, I have spots that I do in front of kids. Yeah. I know that if I'm wrestling in front of indie marks, I have spots that I do in front of indie marks. I know that if I'm wrestling in front of people that maybe don't have an idea of what pro wrestling is, I structure my match according to that. And the, the, the best thing that you could possibly have, and this comes from years of being in the industry and being in a position to teach is you know when and where to put these things. That's yes. the key thing. You cannot just, str- I mean, you can. You could just string together a bunch of high spots of super dangerous shit. Like I said, the crowd might react just the same. Whoa, I can't believe it. This is wrestling. Yep. You know, uh, um, I, I think that where you have it over those people is you know when and where to put those things. Yeah. And I, and I'm thankful for that. And that's something that I try to explain to people. I've said it a bunch recently is you got to take calculated risks sometimes. And the thing that a lot of people, everything you do is a calculated risk. It's not even sometimes every single thing that a wrestler does from walking down the entrance ramp to getting in the ring and every fucking move that follows has the capacity for injury. Now, obviously walking is, you (laughs) You'd have to be a fucking idiot. Now, nah, hey, the other day I was walking up the stairs at the gym and something happened to my leg and I nearly fell over. I don't know what it was. So <laughs> I would love it. I think I would fucking die, die laughing if somebody came out, did whatever their dumb pose is. Hey, you know, the, they came out of the top of the ramp like, yeah, they do the. Let's say they do the Randy Orton pose because that's a pretty yep. stupid one. They do the Randy Orton pose. And then they start walking, they trip, and then they roll down the rest of the ramp. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I um, think I would piss my pants laughing. Yeah, man. And that's the thing is, is that I, 
I feel like it's something to be said is that if you wreck your body before you get an actual opportunity mm-hmm. to wreck your body for a lot of money, yeah. you know, like if I, if I am on a card and if I'm wrestling in front of a crowd of 50 people and if a guy is like, yeah, man, I'm going to hit a dive on you. I'm going to try to talk them out of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, let's just. Hey, you know what I love? The five-star frog splash. You know who doesn't like the five-star frog splash? Triple H and his throat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and that's and that's something that, you know, there's just some people, man, that they, they, they have a different idea of what wrestling is to them. And what I want everyone to do uh, that's in the industry that listens to this is that you need to start finding every way to do this as possible. Yeah. Find a way. Well, how can I work in front of this crowd? How can I work in front of this crowd? How can I work in front of this crowd? If, if somebody there's one, do you know, um, the last dragon, I think it's called, it's a Shingo's finisher that pump handle through the legs with the head and neck cradle. And he stacks them. Right. That's pretty safe. Mm -hmm. There's some guy now that's doing that, but instead of actually having a clutch underneath the crotch, he just grabs the person's leg and awkwardly bends it up. My guy, I'm not going to take that. Right. I'm not taking that move. I mean, I, I seriously wonder, um, Oftentimes, the the burning hammer was only executed seven times. Yes. Yeah, and I think there's even a YouTube video that shows all seven in sequence. Yes. And it's funny how it starts and how it, by the time you, the seventh one, how it ends. Number one, Masawa goes up flat back and he, it's a driver. Mm-hmm. He gets creamed. I mean, straight down vertical, right on the fucking, right on the head and neck. It's a brutal. Yeah. It's, it's seriously, no wonder he's dead. Um, second one, same. By the third one, I think he starts introducing a between the leg wrist clutch. Yep. And it's less flat back, but people are still getting, uh, still getting the top of the you're, shoulders. You're still getting the reaction though. Still getting the reaction. And well, what he does, and it's maybe it should be this way. Um, but by the, by number seven, you know, he's, he has it fine tuned where he's not cleaning guys out. They're mm-hmm. landing mostly not completely flat back, but they're landing on their shoulders instead of their neck. Yeah, man. You know, I mean, seriously, it took Masawa dying for, for people to get fucking wise. Yep. And, and I mean, even then in Japan, there's still not completely wise. What, but look at Ricky Starks. You know, Ricky Starks was on AEW and he just broke his neck taking a German suplex. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is, is that you, you have to understand, like they always talk about the bump card when you're at wrestling school and things like that. That shit's real. Well, the bump card is one thing. A bump card is if you are able to, to you know, land every single bump you take flat back arms extended attack in the mat, the whole shit, you know, your career is still going to be cut short. Every one of those you take. Yep. Uh, what it doesn't account for is when you land on your fucking neck. Yep. Absolutely. You know, cause that'll just take your fucking bump card and tear it up into a million pieces. You break your neck. You might as well fucking consider yourself done or almost done because only a few people get to last outside of that 
um, you know, and their names are, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt, Angle. And, and Kurt Angle and Edge because they were stars and they needed them to continue. So they either had to adapt their styles or become sort of just on air personalities. They're the only people that are coming back from fucking broken necks. Misawa didn't come back. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by Timothy Styles and Cody Hancock with web production and music provided by Timothy Styles. For more information, go to turnbuckleboogie.com. And for booking information on Cutthroat Cody Hancock, go to cutthroatcody.com. See you next Monday. <laughs>